It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. of Christ my King Through eternal ages let His praises ring Glory in the highest I will shout and sing Standing on the promises of God Standing 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 on the promises of God my Savior Standing Standing I'm standing on the Standing on the promises that cannot fail When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail By the living word of God I shall prevail Standing on the promises of God Standing, standing Standing on the promises of God my Savior Promises I cannot call, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all. I'm standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Venturing out on the promises of God. Venturing out on the promises of God. Let's pray. Almighty King, we've tried venturing out on our own, and we've seen the result. We've tried venturing out on religion. Yes. And we've seen that result. Lord, today would you give us the courage to venture out on your promises. Teach us, Lord. Open before us today a clear path that we could venture out on your promises. I pray in your holy name. Amen. We have in our Bible what is called the Old Testament, and we have what is called the New Testament. Testament simply means covenant or cut. So literally, we have the old cut and the new cut. What does that mean? 
If my brother and I enter into an agreement regarding a piece of property, regarding a marriage of children, and we enter into a covenant agreement between us, the old way was to cut the hand just enough to draw blood, both on my hand and on his hand, and then to clasp hands so the blood mixes. That's a covenant. It's not a contract. You understand, a contract can be abridged, it can be canceled, it can be changed, it can be renegotiated. A covenant, however, cannot be abridged, it cannot be changed, it is, in fact, immortal. And, if a contract is broken, I may have to pay some damages. If a covenant is broken, I have to pay with my blood. Because we mixed our blood together, therefore, if a covenant is broken, it's over. Old covenant. Who clasped hands and shared blood in the old covenant? God and the children of Israel. They entered into covenant. There was a set of agreements that went with this covenant. It was called the law. If you broke the law, you died. Your blood was shed. That's why when they were in camp and they found a man who had gone out on the Sabbath day and he was picking up sticks to make a fire... He was brought into camp. He was put in prison. And they stoned him to death because he had broken the rest. Now, God took very seriously this issue of rest. If you broke the rest on the Sabbath day, you were stoned to death. That is, if you did anything. That one day a week, the seventh day out of every week, was called the Sabbath or the rest, where everything stopped. All normal activity ceased. And on the Sabbath, there was a cessation of all activity. It was called Sabbath. You come to the New Covenant. Who clasped hands for the New Covenant? Jesus and the Father. Before the foundation of the earth. It's called the new covenant, but it's also called in scripture, the everlasting covenant. What we refer to as the old covenant was simply a little bump in history. And it's been used as a model to teach us about the everlasting covenant that stretches from before the earth was created until the end of all things, and on through eternity, it will define our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, question, where's the Sabbath in the new covenant? It's called Jesus. When you come into Jesus, you cease your own labors. You stop trying to be righteous, you cease or you're stoned. So you have the new 
cut and you have the old cut. God only does things according to his legal agreements. When I leave this house today, I'm going to take this pretty lady with me. Now, there are some other pretty ladies in the house. They're not going to go with me. Do you know why they're not going to go with me? No cut. No covenant. I have a covenant with this lady, and because of that, when I leave here, she's going to get in the car, and she's going to ride home with me. Because there's a covenant agreement between us. Do you have a covenant agreement that you've entered into with Jesus Christ? To enter into agreement with Jesus Christ is to venture out on his promises. And to begin to engage those promises for all that you live in and for. Remember I said, Sabbath is Jesus. I won't take time now, but if you want to do some research, read carefully Hebrews, the third and fourth chapters on your own time. Jesus is the Sabbath in the new covenant. So when we enter into Jesus Christ, we stop doing certain things, like trying to get it all done. like trying to run our lives. We enter into Jesus, and now we venture out on his promises. And when Peter tried to do that, he did great walking on water until he saw the wind and the waves. And then he transferred his attention from Jesus where he stopped his own deal, and he started his own deal, and his own deal was sinking. Now, some of you are upset because you've been sinking. Yes. Well, there's only one reason why you sink. Because your eyes are on the circumstances and not on Jesus venturing out on his promises. So let's look now at some of these promises. Let's venture out on them. You ready to get your feet wet? Matthew, the sixth chapter. For those of you who are visiting each service, we've been continuing verse by verse through the Sermon on the Mount. You're catching us in chapter 6, verse 25 today. Therefore, I tell you, always when you, when you see therefore, you have to stop and you have to go check out and say, what's he talking about? In this case, therefore means that you may not serve money, but have rather unshaken confidence in God. And he says, do not worry about your life. One translator said it this way, be not busy to your life. Be not busy to your life. The word used here for worry is to be actively involved in making sure that everything goes the way it's supposed to go. It's to be totally in control of, to ensure that it works. 
so you want to begin to venture out on the promises of God, the first thing Jesus says is, okay, then stop being busy about your life. Remember, Jesus is the Sabbath. So it's not surprising that the first thing Jesus would say, okay, you want to come, you want to start entering in? Then lay aside your busyness. Well, for some of you, that's a panic. You've got 20 plates spinning in the air. What's going to happen if I don't keep catching these plates and putting them back up in the air? They're going to all crash. Yes, that's the point. Let them crash. That's exactly the point. Every plant that the Father has not planted, the scriptures say, at the time of judgment, will be rooted up and cast into the fire. I would suspect that some of you are doing a whole bunch of stuff that when the judgment comes, the Lord is going to say, put that in the fire. So if that's the case, why are you bothering with it? What's the point? It's not going to be anything you're going to take with you. It's just exhausting you, making you growly, angry, tired. Some of you gals, I've heard stories about. I've heard some of you are drama queens. Would any of you identify? There's always a big deal going. Always something to moan about or complain about or feel bad about. Always something to wish it were different, wish you could do something else. You're tired of this. You're bored. Oh, drama is an awesome thing. But it doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't achieve the end to which our heart longs, which is to enter into the presence of Jesus and to be at peace. Psalm 23. Jesus leading you beside still waters? Or are they madly rushing? Is he having you lie down in green pastures or are you in a desert? Well, there's a reason for that. Number one, don't busy yourself with your life. Don't busy yourself with what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. And I could add about what car you're going to drive and where you're going to live. Don't busy yourself with that. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. We have a dove, a pair of doves that has nested in our little courtyard. Torrential rains began to come. That dove just sat right on that nest. I came back a little bit later to check on her, just to see how she was doing. She had an umbrella over. While she was sitting peacefully on her nest, and the storm was raging, my sweet wife went out and put an umbrella over Did that bird ask for an umbrella? All she did was sit on her eggs. 
just doing what she was supposed to be doing. And God moved in my wife's heart to go out and put an umbrella over her. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Or let me redefine that word worry. Who of you, by being busy, can add an hour to your life? No, all you can do is take an hour away with a stroke or a heart attack. By being busy. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not busy yourself saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Okay, how do I seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because it seems clear that if I will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that he's going to supply me with my clothing and my food. He's going to take care of everything else for me. Well, immediately, some of you are angry. I don't want God to supply me. I want to do it myself. Thank you. I've got a brain. I can think. I've got common sense. If God does it, I have to accept what he gives me. If I do it, I can get what I want. Some of you don't want to give up your independence. Thank you very much. I don't have everything, but at least what I have is mine and I earned it. Is that called pride? Yes. Self-sufficiency? If, on the other hand, you're interested in God providing everything for you, are you willing to venture out on his promises and lay down your pride? A young man, a story goes, was highly favored by the king. And finally, the king said to him one day, Son, what can I give you? You've served me well. What can I give you? And the young man began to think to himself very quickly. What what could I ask the king for? I could ask him to be a commanding officer in his army. Oh, that'd be good. But I might get killed. What else could I ask for? I could ask to be a general. Oh, but if I fail in battle, then I'll be fired. What else could I ask the king for? I could just ask him for treasure. Oh, but I might run out. What do I ask the king for? And suddenly it dawned on him. 
Sir, could I have your daughter for my wife? Oh, then he knew he'd get everything. And his life was assured. When we come to Jesus, what are you going to ask him for? When you venture out on the promises of God, what are you going out there for? You want some answers to prayer? Some little stuff? You know, give me a parking place. Hey, how about some money, Jesus? I know. I need some health. I need to be healed in my body. No. That's asking for the little stuff. That's asking for the peanuts. If you're going to ask God for something, why don't you ask if you could be his bride? Now you've got something worth asking for. And you probably get his attention. When I met my wife, It happened when I looked up and I saw her. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and he said, there's your new wife, go meet her. I was terrified. I'd prayed for a year and a half for a wife. The Lord had finally answered my prayer and said, I will bring you a wife if you'll be patient. I agreed. I'll be patient. Six months later, He had me in the right place at the right time, and he had her at the right place in the right time. And I looked up, and I saw her, and he said to me, there's your new wife, go meet her. We started talking, and we started calling because she was in Fort Lauderdale and I was in Washington. Finally, I I ventured, could I come down to Florida and see you? No. My heart dropped. And she then says, but I'll come to Washington and see you. And if things don't work out, we'll shake hands and I'll see the monuments. (laughs) Shrewd woman. So she comes to Washington, D.C. I made arrangements for her to have a place to stay very quickly. My heart just falls in love with her. She's there for one short weekend. As the weekend is drawing to a close, we've both had a wonderful time, I think. And I said to her, will you marry me? And she thought I said, will you come back and visit? And she said, yes. And I said to her, did you hear what I said? (laughs) Well, yes, you asked if I'd come back and visit. I said, no. I said, will you come back and stay? And she said, whoa, that's something else. But I guess I already said yes, so it's yes. (laughs) Do you think I had her attention? Oh, yes. Not the first time. But when she finally figured out what I was asking, she was wide awake. Her eyes were big as saucers. She got back on the airplane as quickly as she could and flew to Florida. And didn't tell one of her friends that she was legally engaged. I had her attention. 
Do you think if you say to God, could I be your bride? Do you think you'll have his attention? I think you'll have his full attention. And I suspect at that point, it'll be you who does the running and not God. (laughs) Because now there's the matter of entering into his kingdom. And what's the first step for entering into the kingdom of God? What's the first step for being the bride of God? It's first laying down all the distractions and all the busyness. But then there's another step. Let's go to Jesus' own words and I'll share what it is. Matthew, the fourth chapter, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The call for the Christian to enter into the new covenant promises, to begin to walk into the promises of God, to begin to venture out on those promises, that first step to venture out is to repent. Let's define terms. To repent means to turn from the direction I'm going and go a totally different direction. So if I'm going this direction with busyness, with concern for my life, with being absorbed in all the activities of the day, when I'm being absorbed in the television, I'm being absorbed in the culture of my day, if I want to begin to venture out on the promises of God, the first step is to turn around with my back toward that culture and begin to come toward Jesus. Usually we think of repentance in terms of, uh uh-oh, I'm doing something wrong, I've got to stop doing that, and now I have to try harder. That's old covenant. That's law. New covenant says, I'm going to turn away from this life because I want to be the bride of God. And when I'm going this direction, I see his face. And it's my choice to see the face of God and to begin to venture out on the promises of God so that he'll enter into an agreement with me and I'll begin to experience the joy of Jesus in my heart. Now what happens as I've turned and I'm going toward Jesus and suddenly I become dissatisfied with the way Jesus looks. I get dissatisfied with what Jesus is doing. And so I turn around and I begin to go back to my busyness. Do I see Jesus' face now? No. No. What do I see? I see duty. I see what I ought to be and I'm not. I begin to walk in self-condemnation. I begin to walk in bitterness and anger. I begin to walk in despair and discouragement. To repent of that means not to wail myself. Not to get a whip and begin to beat myself up. It means simply I'm going to turn my back on that. I'm going to go back to Jesus. 
There is no condemnation found in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is always found under the law. That's under the old covenant. Condemnation comes when I have my face toward the world and I feel guilty. Condemnation comes when I have my face toward what I ought to be doing and I should be doing, but I haven't been able to drudge up out of my inner heart the will to do it. And because I can't do it, then I beat myself because I think that by beating myself, either A, I'm going to force myself to do what's right, or B, I'll beat myself enough so that at least I won't feel so guilty for not doing what I ought to be doing. Both of which keep me under the old covenant and keep me bound and steal joy from my heart and make me essentially useless for the kingdom of heaven. It requires turning and putting my back to that. Again, I see the face of Jesus. And what do I see in his face? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, mercy. Isn't he the one who bears all the fruit of the Spirit? I know. You think you're going to look at Jesus' face and you're going to see anger at you. You're going to see disapproval. You're going to see judgment. You're going to see hardness. That's a lie of the devil. That's not how Jesus treats his people, especially when you just ask to be his bride. So the first step is to repent. But what if, what if my heart is hard and I begin to say, I can't repent. My heart is too hard to repent. Jesus, would you give me repentance? No, he says, I already gave it to you. Well, my heart's too hard. You know what Genesis 3.15 says? Have you looked at that? It's the most precious promise in all of the scriptures. Genesis 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity or I will put disagreement. I will put separation between you and the woman. He's speaking to the devil. He's saying, I will put separation between your heart and the devil's heart. Between your offspring and hers. In other words, he's saying, I'm promising you that I will create distance between your heart and the devil's heart so that there will be no reason why you will not be able to repent. If I am not able to repent, it's because there is no distance between my heart and the devil's. My heart belongs to him. I'm telling you today, Jesus will not do that to his people. The promise is... 
that Jesus will create distance between your heart and the devil's heart. Now, if you're saying today, I can't repent, then I'm asking you to pray another prayer. I'm saying to you, take Jesus at his word and say, Jesus, would you create distance between the devil and my heart? I stand on your promise. I begin to venture out on your promise that you will do what you promise to do. You will create distance between my heart and the devil so that I have the ability to repent, to turn from this way of darkness toward the face of Jesus. Now, can you honestly tell me there would be any reason why Jesus would make it impossible for you to turn and face him. That's impossible. But now there is a reason why a person cannot repent. They don't want to. There's only one reason why a person would not want to repent. Because they're getting something out of their sin that they want to keep on getting. You know, many times I've unfortunately had to sit down with a wife who was being physically abused by her husband. And in all of those cases, I have always taken the position, how can I help you escape this abuse? That there is no reason, there's nothing a woman can do that would deserve physical abuse from a man. There's nothing that a woman could do or say that would deserve being struck and physically hurt. And I've said to women so many times in that situation, how can I help you leave this abusive situation? You don't have to divorce him yet. And and hopefully you will never have to divorce him. Hopefully leaving him will wake him up. Seldom does it. But you know what I almost always hear? The initial response is almost always, oh, I couldn't leave him. If I left him, what would happen to the house? Or if I left him, what about the kids? We'll take the kids with you. Oh, I couldn't take the kids away from him. How could I take the kids away from him? There's not a one of us here who has not been abused by the devil. And in some sense, all of us have a mentality that is bound by abuse. We have come to think that abuse from the devil is normal. It's not. There is never a reason why the devil should treat us as he does. It is simply because he is wicked, he is a liar, and he is the father of liars. And as a pastor, I have to come to you and say, how can I help you leave him? It's time to get out of his camp. It's time to get to Jesus. It's time to believe his promises. So the first step is to repent, and that is the call to turn my back on all of this stuff, unbelief, fear, depression, discouragement. It's time to turn my back 
on my bitterness and my anger. It's time to turn my back on all of that and turn back toward Jesus and get with him. Now, it's hard to get with Jesus when you're still with other lovers. The only thing that can possibly keep you away from Jesus is another lover. For some of you, that's the love of money. For some of you, that's the love of independence. For some of you, it's the love of being mistreated and beat up. For some of you, it's just the love of being mad. Worry? Oh, oh! if, if I didn't keep all these plates in the air, Pastor, who's going to catch them? No, I have to maintain my life. Oh, you do? Until you die, and then who will maintain it? Who would be so consumed as you? with all of those important things. Is it possible that they're not all that important? Notice what Jesus continues to say in verse 19. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. They're leaving fishing boats. They're leaving businesses. They're leaving responsibilities behind. And they're choosing to follow Jesus. And now they have a new job. To be fishers of men. As soon as you recognize all of this stuff of your life, and you recognize that God has in his great mercy put enmity between you and all of this stuff. That is, he's given you the freedom to turn your back on it, to turn toward Jesus, and now to begin to move toward him, stepping out on his promises. When you begin to take that course of action, your whole life changes. You're transformed. You no longer care for all these things. You now care for the important issues that Jesus is concerned about. So now the question is not, what must I do to maintain my life? The question is, what does Jesus want me to be doing? I'll tell you right now, there's a whole bunch of stuff you're doing in your life Jesus doesn't want you to be doing. It's just taking up your vital energy and your life and it's wasting your time and it's wasting your life. He's saying, come and follow me. What would Jan have thought had I said, I'd like you to marry me? And she says, all right. But you know what I'd like you to do, Jan? Just why don't you stay down there in Florida? Just stay down in Florida, and I'll be up here, and we'll have a marriage. That's... We'll talk on the phone once in a while, hon. What's she going to say? No. No, she said in her wedding vow, wherever you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I'm going with you. She started to follow me. 
And as God began to call me more and more out of the worldly church, she followed me right out of it. You willing to follow Jesus? With all you do and everything you desire? Are you willing just to follow Jesus? Are you willing not to do anything except what Jesus wants you to do? Are you willing not to go anywhere except where Jesus wants you to go? Well, how do I know that? Well, by following him. Spending time with him. Reading his word. Praying. Seeking his face. Listening to his Holy Spirit. You recognize you can't maintain your own life and do what I'm talking about. Something has to give. But let's get back to the promise for just a minute. In Matthew, the sixth chapter, it says, verse 31, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Do the pagans run after all of these things? If you're a Christian, you will not run after these things. Are you running after these things? Then by definition, you're not a Christian. You're a pagan. A Christian is one who begins to follow Jesus after repenting. He follows Jesus. He runs after Jesus. He searches after Jesus. And he no longer goes after the things of this world, but instead he seeks first his kingdom and the righteousness of Jesus. And all of these things will be given to you as well. What things is it being, are being spoken of? Please, it's food, it's house, it's clothes, it's car, it's everything that is necessary. When that young man said to the king, may I be your son-in-law, the agreement would immediately come into effect that that son-in-law ate at the king's table. That son-in-law had access to all of the treasury. So it is with Jesus. When we begin to enter into Jesus and we venture out on his promises, everything Jesus has becomes available to us. Some of you are looking at me like, okay, pastor, be practical. All right, I will. What day's tomorrow? Monday. And you're supposed to go to work. Some of you are working in places Jesus did not send you. And so you're going to be in a very painful place for a short time. Because Jesus didn't send you there, you sent yourself there. So you're going to suffer for a bit. You're in prison for a while. But the truth is, as you begin to follow Jesus, he begins to change your work assignment. And he brings you into the job he wants to assign you. And he begins to provide for you what he wants you to have. You want to venture out on the promises of God? 
It's going to cost you everything over in the world. You're going to gain everything in heaven. And you'll be used mightily by God in the prayer closet. With almost no recognition. Most of the recognition you'll get will be scorn and shame. Cursing. You'll walk with Jesus. And you'll learn by suffering the way of righteousness. And your heart will be filled with joy. And you'll get to see God move all the time. And you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mighty God, King of all the earth, I choose to venture out on your promise today that you would be my supply. That you would be the one who would carry me. That you would direct the steps of my life and of this fellowship. That you would order everything that is allowed to come into my heart. Lord, I choose to serve and love and follow you. Thank you, King of all the earth, for saying yes. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Dream.
Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to Present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Presence of His glory will.